Hit the record button. Hi, I'm Sean. And I'm Corey. Welcome to the Shadowscape podcast. We are here in the live room of Shadowscape Records Studio in the heart of Kansas City, Missouri. The Shadowscape podcast. What is it? Well, really, we don't know yet, but we have a hope and we have a thought. And the entirety of the Shadowscape podcast is an effort to isolate and understand the music industry, not as this big monster that controls all of our art and tells us what we have to be and tells us what works, but a collective of individual creators, idea builders, and people who actually make up this beautiful thing that is the music industry. See, we believe that you can create art that you want to, and people will love it. But we know very much that there are lots of people all over the world who make up this industry, more than just the musicians and the giant record companies. We are a lot of front of house engineers and songwriters and dorky studio guys who are making things sound wonderful. And we're publishers and we're, we're just people with just love for music that show up and want to help and carry in gear. There's lots of us, lots of us that make up the music industry. And we want to highlight the DNA of what the music industry is and what glues it all together. So this is an experiment, but it's also a podcast. And even though it's our first one, we hope that you will enjoy it, love it, and learn to do this whole podcast thing with us. We're going to talk about a lot of things. We're going to talk to a lot of people. And hopefully, somewhere along the way, We'll learn and understand and we'll really enjoy that all these people and all these different ideas come together to make what we know as the music industry. Today we have Emily Capshaw in the studio. Emily is an actress. She's a musician. She's an engineer. She has been all over the world basically pursuing art, making art, and just being kind of a professional badass with a hell of a lot of self-awareness. She's probably cooler than we are in every single way, but we're really excited that she came to Kansas City. She's on tour right now um, on the Kendrick Lamar tour, which is cool. Um, and she's running monitors, which is also really cool. So she's controlling all the goodness for all of the artists and making their lives much better. We're super stoked to have her on the podcast. This is Emily. Welcome to the hey, show. Thanks for having me. Emily Capshaw, what do you do? I do a lot of things. Um, I would consider myself, as vague as it sounds, in general, just a creative artist. I like to just make things and collaborate with people. More specifically these days, I spend most of my time mixing audio, typically in a live situation, and acting. I would say those are my two primary outlets of creativity. But yeah, I've been known to dip my toes in a lot of various creative fields. I feel like nowadays you kind of have to in order to stay afloat, yeah. you, you need to be a jack of many trades. Yeah, I, I would say so. Um, I also feel like, though, people still, there's a lot of pressure to be one thing. Like, even that question in itself, when people are like, what do you do? Like, I always have kind of like a mini heart attack, and I'm like, uh, which am I going to choose? Like, what hat am I going to say, depending on the situation? Sometimes the answer is like, I'm an actor, and sometimes it's I'm a front of house engineer, like, Depending on the situation, there's so many answers to that question. And I feel like you're almost trying to 
figure out who the person who's actually asking the question and say what they think is going to be the most cool right. out of, out of <laughs> yeah, the list of I'm things like, that you what do. You, what is, what, what am would I you today? like that I do? What am I going to be for this moment? And a lot of it depends on like, yeah, who it is, what the conversation is, or just like what I'm doing more of at that time or what I'm kind of vibing on more. What you're the most passionate about. Yeah. And it fluctuates and it changes, but I feel like it's almost an unfair question in our culture now that people are like, so what do you do? Because at least maybe it's the group of people that I'm, I'm situated around, but I'm always around people who do like 12 different things all at the same time, all well. And they're all passionate about all those things, but I, that's probably the number one question I'm asking. Hi, I'm Corey. Well, what do you do? And it's like, yeah. And I almost hate when I find myself asking it, but I don't know how else, like I need to figure out a better way to like to reinvent that question. Cause yeah, not, not to be too philosophical, but we kind of live in an age where unfortunately we're defined by what we do, Yeah, which I mightily disagree with. Which maybe that's always Mm -hmm. been, I mean, like if you, Look at John like the 1950s. Miller. Yeah. John the Miller. It literally or, used to be your name. Or yeah. Steve was the what Blacksmith. You did. That's, that's the Blacksmith. Yeah. You know, I, I do. I do think it's that way. I, I think sometimes it is unfortunate, but I think that's kind of just how our society is wired a little bit. Yeah. So I, I know for me, part of my craft of being an artist is I feel like I have to have the answer to that question somewhat down pat, like because artists are constantly just selling themselves in every interaction. Yeah. You know, which but, is, that's super fun. Yeah. I really like to, that. to live that life that doesn't create social anxiety. <laughs> yeah, every turn. every interaction like- <laughs> has to be transactional. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like narrow down like what your brand is and who you are and what you're doing and have that really clear in order to find success. And so if you don't have that down, it can be re- like an existential crisis of like, who am I? Like, what am I doing? I don't know. Or do I like, do I not have value or worth if I don't answer this question well enough? Yeah, totally. (laughs) And and the unfortunate feeling that you don't feel like you have worth if you can't really fine tune it at all points of your life, every single day, like you have to wake up in the morning and go, today I'm a great actor. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So we are in a hundred year old ice house. In Kansas City, Missouri. You are not from Kansas City, Missouri. So tell us a little bit about where you live, where you grew up. Just let us know. We know Emily's a creative. We know Emily runs front of house. Uh, but for those of people in the world who don't know anything about you, let's paint a bigger picture. Um, I was born in Denver, Colorado. Grew up in Colorado. Went to high school in Colorado. Went to college in Texas. Right and- in Texas. Baylor University in Waco. Okay. Do yeah, you know Chris and Joe or what are the Chuck and Joanna Gaines, that TV show? <laughs> that happened after I left, <laughs> it's actually, too bad. which is weird because now everybody knows of Waco because yeah. of that show, which is so weird to me because that wasn't a thing when I was there. But yeah, I, the it's actually funny because the first like audio gig I ever got was I was working as a barista at a coffee shop there that was also a music venue and then ended up kind of doing music stuff there and learned a lot. But the owners of that coffee shop were on that show. They got their house remodeled, which is funny. But, and everybody's like, oh my God. Like, I can't hear the Waco or Baylor and not think of Chip and Joanna which Gaines. Which is like, nuts. Cause that was, yeah, that wasn't a thing when I was King there. and queen of Waco. Yeah, totally. But then I graduated and moved out to LA and I've been living there for probably almost five years now. So yeah. Interesting. Basically, it was like a few days after you moved to LA that we met. Yeah. 
which that doesn't have, you, you don't get to see that like full story. Like I, I've known you since you moved to LA. Yeah. That was like, I was this wide eyed, like, I'm going to move to LA and be an actress. And you took my like first headshots when I first moved out there, which is crazy. We were talking about this last night uh, at dinner, how the Emily that I met, the like the first time she's in LA to the Emily now, it's just, it's, it's crazy how people like go to LA and you see some go to LA and they and it just tears them they, apart. It tears them apart. They become these. <laughs> they kind of become what the industry needs them to be, or right. they move back home. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's been really cool. You know, I don't know exactly what you do every single day. I don't know every single job you've had, but it having conversations with you now and seeing you now, going, man, it really seems like it helped purify like yeah. who you were in a way that you found yourself or you at least found parts of yourself that are leading you to all these different creative endeavors. Yeah. And it's cool to, to, to see you now because it's like, it's like this butterfly <laughs> and I saw the caterpillar and it's yeah. just kind of, it's fun to, to have got to see somebody go like through this whole creative process mm. and be here, which when I talk to you, it's like you're still you're at the beginning of a new chapter, yeah. And it's so it's so it's so exciting for people like us because you know we've been in the industry for 10, 10 plus years for yeah. me. I know Sean's been doing it since you know he's just a little kid, um, just out writing songs and stuff. And and a lot of people look at our careers and they're like they're a lot of our friends are like winding down and kind of like putting it down and having babies and just kind of over it. Like it's not going to work out. And Sean and I have conversation and it, and it feels like. We're at the very beginning and yeah. anything is possible. Yeah. And I think that's so, it's so in, kind of just invigorating for, for me to yeah. like, to talk to you and you're like, I have all these ideas and dreams and I'm still thinking about it. Yeah. It's you like know. new seasons. Yeah. I feel like I'm, I came to LA and a shy, self-conscious, like low self-esteem, wide-eyed kid basically. And and, and everybody was like, it's going to tear you apart. Like, swear, like all these jaded people. <laughs> that's like, what we tell all of our friends. When they're like, we're yeah. going to move to a city where like, it'll eat you alive. Like, yeah. That's always our first advice in to everyone. In a way, it kind of <laughs> did at first. Like, it de- my first year in LA was so hard. And it did. I grew I always lived in small towns. I'd never lived in a big city. I mm-hmm. moved to the middle of Hollywood. Like, just day-to-day life was such a challenge. And everything was hard. And Transportation. Yeah. I was shopping. Like, did you so move there with the car? Yeah, I moved there with a car, yeah. but like I got so many tickets, like I couldn't figure out how to just function in just the city. Park. <laughs> and yeah, everything was hard. I cried so much. I was like, but it broke me down in such a good way. Like and it made me grow so much and have to figure out who I was. And I hated it for a little bit. Like I was trying to figure it out. And probably I think I, I had been in LA for about two years and I got to a point where I was like, there's so much ugly here that I like in this industry and in what like it's nothing like I thought it was I don't know if I want what I thought I wanted like I'd already done a few commercials and some films and like gotten a big enough taste where I was like and met a lot of just awful people doing it and saw all the things that are gross about it and was like do I want to do this and I cut I had this like big existential crisis and I was like I gotta get out for a while and I went and I did like a three-month backpacking trip in Europe that sounds awful. Yeah. Yeah. How would you ever do that? That's like, like the goal for me. Yeah. I was like, I just got to get out of here and figure out who I am and what I want. And that, and I was so scared because LA makes you feel like three months, like your career suicide, like you're going to miss so much. And I was like, 
I can't leave. Like I'm screwing myself. Like I'm going to come back and have lost so much time, which is so stupid, but it felt like that. And that trip did like more for my life and career than like anything I else I did. Cause I getting out and traveling and like figuring out who am I, what do I want in life? Who am I as an artist? Like, do, what do I want? It was crazy. And then I came back and was like over it. Like I'm done acting. I'm going to do music instead. I'm going to do this like other stuff. Like I don't want to be this LA actor person. And so then that's been a whole journey and like a season of kind of chasing that. And then now I'm kind of at this place where I'm like, okay, I want to do both, but in my own way, like in my terms, I don't want to play things the way that you're supposed to do it in LA. I have to do it like my own way. And so it's all been kind of this journey of figuring out who am I? What do I want my creative voice to be? What are my outlets of expression? And and how do how does that all fit together? And I think that growth as a person has done more for my career than like working on my career. Like working on me has, ha- I think has translated into my career. And now, so now I feel like five years down the road, like I'm just starting because I'm like, now I know what I want to do. I know who I am. Like, I'm not this wide-eyed girl who doesn't get LA. Like, I have connections. I understand the city. Like, it feels like home. And now I feel like I can really start, you know? And it takes a while sometimes to figure that out. And it's been my own journey and process. But what I've found is finding yourself in that career path so many times is so much less getting awesome at, like, the art itself. And so much more learning how you do that art. Sometimes even how you can allow yourself yeah, to do the day-to-day. To do, to do the day to day. Yeah. I think it's really funny how and you highlighted this when you said, you know, I want to leave for three months and get away. Um, and people, I think with especially with social media and with all these brand developers and all these different people and these books you read saying like, you got to every day, you got to get up and you got to do this and you got to spend time, like spend all this time on your art, blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's you, the, the, the artists that I, you see really succeed sometimes are the artists who like, they disappear for four, like, <laughs> I mean, granted she was big, but look at Adele. She, she was like, I'm in the height of my career. I'm the biggest thing on the planet see you guys in five years and Mumford did the same thing yeah. like they just said screw you all like I'll come back when I want to come back see, and- but I think that's a picture of people who are doing art the way that you are right. and not the way the industry yeah well, and I think we all a lot of us think we look at the music industry or you know the film industry or, or any creative industry and we think like if we're not pumping something great out all the time people will forget about us and people won't care or or that that people will forget about us place we're also scared of that so we're trying to post every day online and we're trying to make sure people know that we're relevant and i know you and i as artists like like we dealt with that for a long time. Like, how do I stay consistent? How do I have that consistent growth? I just gave up. You you <laughs> gave up hard. Um, but what I'm learning is that if you just make something really great, it doesn't matter when or how it comes out because the world really likes great stuff. And so, you know, if if you were like, if you need four or five years to kind of like work it out, if you look at the civil wars, like kind of just did not do anything that we thought was like amazing as individuals get to like their mid thirties and forties. They become the civil wars. They put out 
two albums and disappear, but they won four Grammys and changed a lot of how singer songwriters can even enter like the the quote unquote new music industry. And that's still a great story. Like we were talking about this today, you know, like the, the, the difference between like trying to get famous or trying to get successful or well-known as soon as possible, or just being grateful at the end of your life that at some point I did something that affected the entire planet. And that was, that's worth living for. Cause it just, it's just so funny though. Like, you know, I, I listen to so many like tech podcasts and so many business like leaders just, just to try to understand where the market's at and stuff. Cause I, I, I have value in that, but how, you know, hustle, like the hustle mentality is so prevalent, but, and I think it works, but sometimes people are hustling more than they're creating and it's really just making art kind of not as good in a lot mm-hmm. of different... It's diluting the art yeah. and increasing the content. Yeah. yeah. Well, being an artist is weird because like it's it's a different sort of career in the sense that what you're making is like the byproduct of how you're feeding yourself and like what you need as an artist to like gain inspiration or whatever in order to make good art is a big part of that. And for a lot of people that comes from resting and just experiencing life and living life and doing things like traveling around Europe just to like learn and grow as a person because if you don't have those kind of experiences and you're not kind of full of life and things to pour into your art then your art's not going to be interesting or relatable you're not going to have anything good to put out there and I think that a lot of artists can get frustrated and feel like they're not able to make anything good because they're not they for, they're forgetting the step of like, how do I feed my soul? Like, how do I give myself something to like be inspired about and create? Cause it feels like in this hustling world, it feels like you always have to be creating and putting stuff out and like giving, giving, giving. And there's no time for like, how do I fill myself back up and how do I pause and grow and learn about life? And so I've realized some of the best times in my life that have really fueled my creative career into the next level has been when I've stopped and thought, I just want to learn and kind of grow as a person and do something that is educational and helps me become better. And then when I have like some epiphany or like a series of small epiphanies or whatever, that makes me feel like I've changed as a person. Now I'm like, Oh, now I can, now I have something to write about. I have something to talk about. Noah Gunderson has a line in one of his songs that says nothing's more sincere than selfish art. (laughs) Oh Yeah. (laughs) And it's kind of true, like when you finally give yourself the opportunity to fill something <laughs> and not just like the run and like the hustle or, you know, you give yourself an opportunity to relax or have a, a few seconds of silence to have let your brain actually kind of seep into itself. You know, you actually tend to, you know, actually write something real. I, what I'm curious about, because I know like you said you've been, we talked about you were uh, you're starting to write poetry or maybe you always have. Um, where do you feel like songs come for, from for you? Like, do you, do you need to like go somewhere and like have something happen? Or do you, like, I know, I know so many songwriters who they'll literally like destroy their life and their relationships because they want something to write about, you know, but where, where does it come for you? Like what, do you, what inspires you? What like really makes you want to create? Um, For me, a lot of like, I've, to kind of pause and go into like, I've, I start, I've started to write poetry as a way of like, not necessarily being like, I want to be a poet now or anything, but to me, it's a, it's a good 
beginning for ideas to get out, I've started to realize, like just sitting down and kind of writing without the restriction of like, am I writing a song? Am I writing like an idea for a film or like whatever to just write in a way that's like beautiful and expressive and creative, but it's literally just getting thoughts out. It's almost like kind of purging out things and looking through and being like, what's in here that's interesting and can it become something else eventually? So I've really gotten into kind of the art form of poetry to be at almost a starting point and a launching pad for just like pure expression, like just getting things out. And a lot of that, I think for me comes from my, like I, as a person, I have a really big existential struggle with like life and what is the meaning of life, I guess. Like I'm really into <laughs> Is that a like, day-to-day thing? Like does it hit yeah, you every like, single day? Why am I, I here? I'm like, I love to listen and read about things like in a scientific level and kind of a spiritual level and everything of like, what's happening? Like what is happening? <laughs> you know, and that, that kind of urge for like truth and wisdom and like how to, like, how do I live life more fully? How do I be a better person? Like all of that kind of, that quest has fueled a lot of my life and my travels and things that I've done, but that most of my writing and things kind of are in that realm. So that being said, I would say most of my inspiration comes from practices like meditation or just going on hikes and like becoming still and listening and opening up those parts inside of me where I can start to hear like what's really going on and figure that out. Because the more I'm just kind of consumed with surface level busyness, the less creative I feel because then I'm just thinking about day-to-day blah. But then when I can get myself to like be still and meditate and or do yoga or surf or hike or whatever to be able to get into that mindset where I feel almost like I'm opening myself up to the muse, so to speak. Like I've been really fascinated lately with this idea of the muse and I'm working on this poetry video that I told you about that's about the muse. It's like, it's from the perspective of the muse, what the muse is saying to its Tell us about receiver. It. If you don't, if it's, if it's <laughs> yeah. not like too early to talk about no, no, it. No, like hopefully it'll be out soon in relation to, I don't know when this will come out, but maybe it'll already be out. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe we're in the future and it already exists. <laughs> if it is, we'll, link, we'll, sit, we'll put a link to it. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, so I basically want to write from the voice of like, what is that thing? Like it kind of personifying that like creativity, that like energy. Cause sometimes it feels like as a creative, it's not coming from me. Like I'm just the channel in which this idea is like coming into me and wants to like chooses me as its vessel. I don't know if you've either of you have read any Liz Gilbert stuff. Are you familiar with her? No. Huge Liz Gilbert fan. She talks about this in her book, Big Magic, about how creativity is magic and ideas are like these living like deities almost that choose like, I'm going to, I'm going to come into the world through you. And you can either choose to like take it and be like, all right, I'm going to help you become like a real thing. Or if you don't, then it'll go on to somebody else and then they'll do it. But like ideas want to become reality and you can either open yourself up to it and be like, oh, okay, I'm going to make this thing. But I'm a huge believer in that, that it doesn't feel like it's me like making this thing. I just have to open myself up and then the ideas just come. And then it's just my job to make them happen in whatever they want to be. So, yeah. So I wrote this poem kind of from the perspective of the creative muse speaking to the artist 
about just like, just listen and like take the idea. That's like all you have to do. And I'm waiting all the time to like give you what you want. It's such an interesting way to look at it. Chris Martin says something similar. Uh, He like sits, I think he sits down for three hours a day. I think is what I've heard. Maybe I'm wrong, but I've been told that he'll sit down and play his piano for three hours a day waiting for that thing to happen. He said, if it's clocks, isn't going to show up if I don't sit down and play, you know? And so it's, it's really just that kind of 10,000 hour mindset. Like I'm just going to sit here and it's going to, if I don't show up, it won't choose me or if I I can't take what it's given to me. It kind of takes the pressure off. And Liz talks about, she has a Ted talk where she talks about it too, about how like we're, our fragile human ego is not meant to be like the genius like the word genius and its origin and what it was like people used to believe it was this this other entity that was like I, I just am it just, just possessing came to people me. <laughs> and like I just that I like lived in the walls and would just like come out to like in the human just kind of and if at some point that shifted and now the pressure's on us that we have to be the genius <laughs> we have to make these things and we're not our which we're dealing with ego, really well <laughs> is we're, we can't do that like we're not meant for that and it destroys artists like well, it's so sad it's such a fear sometimes yeah. I think that your pen will run dry yeah you know, like that, that was something that I remember when I was 18 or 19 years old and I was really deciding like, do I want to go to college and pursue a normal career path or do, is this Don't who I am? Don't do it. I know, exactly. <laughs> Don't. Or is this who I am? And I remember like there was kind of this precipice where we started walk, working with this producer. We, you know, we knew nothing about the music industry and we thought this was our big break and this was it. And we were going to, you know, become huge if we start working with this guy. And you, you know, like, we all know that's not how the music industry works anymore, but we didn't know that at the time. And, you know, and I was just like, if I commit to this, what's going to happen if in five years I'm halfway through a recording contract or something and my pen runs dry, you know, and this fear, but so many times when I write a song and I don't know if this is the same for you when you write poetry, I'll, it'll be like nothing, 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 nothing. And then a word or a phrase or something that someone says in a coffee shop in the line next to you, it cuts your soul so deeply that you like, I'll almost start like weeping in that moment. I'll almost start weeping. And then it's not yet though. I know in that moment that's going to inspire a song. And then I, I just watch the clock and I just wait. And, and, but I have to make little times to make myself available. And mm-hmm. then a song will come out and like, yeah, an hour yeah, will be a finished work. And I'm like, where did that come from? Mm-hmm. And I think that it's really what you just explained with the muse and yeah. it being just, there's just ideas out there and are we willing to grab them yeah. out of the air and bring them to fruition? I yeah. think it's such a beautiful way to look at it. It I takes think, that fear away. Yeah. The biggest enemy to creativity to me is our own fear of failure and not being good enough and like suffocating that. And all we have to do is just like, be like a little kid who's just playing and be open to like what those ideas are and just like let them come out. Like that's, if you think of it that way, like it's so freeing as an artist to be like, man, my job is just to show up, like put pen to paper, so to speak, and whatever that is in what you're doing, like, and just wait and just put it out there and like, let it flow in that way. And it takes the pressure off and then opens you up to be able to actually create because you're not like trying to pull it out from somewhere and like, think it's like, you know, it needs to be perfect every time. And that to me is 
really freeing because I feel like it's so easy as an artist to just suffocate your own creativity away with perfectionism and self-doubt and like all of this nasty stuff that loves to just kill it. John Foreman, uh, I heard him talk one time that he says all songs, all the songs that I'll ever write, they already exist out there. I'm just a treasure hunter trying to find them. They're, they're out there. Like I'm, I am not the one crafting any of this. I'm just happen to be finding these and putting, you know, putting them to work. Um, so to kind of segue, uh, back, um, to you being in Kansas city, um, which we haven't had barbecue yet. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like your emotion and your entire personality probably would have changed it's about after to be shifted. <laughs> have, having barbecue. So I'm glad we did this beforehand. So we got the purest form of you. Um, but you're in town. Uh, you're running monitors on tour yeah. right now. So tell us a little bit about the tour and what you're doing and the crew and the whole lifestyle of yes. arena tours because we're just a couple singer-songwriters who have only stepped in arenas when we got to pay for them. And every <laughs> now and then when we got lucky enough to be on some show or something. But uh, tell us about what the, the life of the arena tour crew front of house person is like. So to kind of back up a little bit to the beginning of that, like I, about a year ago, like I've been doing sound kind of on the side to support my acting career. And then about a year ago, I was like, I wonder what it would be like if I flip-flopped this and started pursuing this. It seems to be working really well. I don't really put much effort into it. Maybe if I put some effort in, like, what would that happen? I was kind of mad at acting. It was like, my like being in a relationship and like an abusive relationship and you're like we need to take a break like when I heard you were running well. front of house or like any like I was like where did this come from yeah because, like uh, it surprised a lot of people like it was my secret <laughs> hobby that all of a sudden I was like you're gonna be my number one what now. a secret <laughs> hobby to yeah. have I wanted to dip into this a little bit and I know that you asked about arena tour but I almost feel like we need to start just yeah, with the audio from, engineering let's start from the beginning because I think we all know it's not a secret like typically audio engineering is a boys club. Oh yeah, it's definitely. And when you really think about it, it makes no sense as to why. Because I don't know about for you, but for me, my love for audio engineering came about because of, I'm a science nerd. Yeah. I'm a tech nerd. I Mm -hmm. love tearing things apart and knowing how they work. Yes. His his nickname, we called him Radio Shack (laughs) for years because he- he, well, he was really poor, like all of us were, because we were on the road at first. You just you don't have no money. You have, that was good grammar. He, we had no money. And so he would just like wire things together that weren't supposed to work because that's the only way we could afford to make it turn on. So anyway. That, that, that's how I afforded. It's important to know. <laughs> a lot of my early music career was buying things broken and fixing them and that kind of thing. But so it's this, it's this cerebral thing, mm-hmm. but it's also this, this, touchy-feely, esoteric yes. thing yes. where you're like, that vocal needs something. And you just, you turn knobs and you massage faders until you find it. And for me, when I think of the female mind, that's perfect yeah. because women are so perceptive, but they can be so academic. And, and so I'm baffled as to the boys club side of it, but explain to me how you wound up in this boys club. That's, I love that you said all that. And I have so much to say, cause I feel the <laughs> same exact way. And I don't know many other people who describe it that way. So it makes me so excited. Cause it's that's what art. I've always said I is like, it. cause for me, I was the math brain. Like I, I was, math came really easy to me. Like I understand 
numbers and equations and like the simplicity of like this equals this, but also that being like a part of me and also being a creative too is a weird dichotomy. And there's, it's hard to find where you fit when you have both of that. And I kind of found that I always have been interested in working in music some way. And I've tried almost everything. Like I've tried being the artist and like making music and like tried a million different instruments and singing and writing and like trying doing songwriting or whatever, like tried all these different ways. Like I was in show choir as a kid and did musical theater. Cause I was like, I like music and acting. So maybe musical theater and mm-hmm. definitely not that <laughs> for me, but like tried all these things to try to figure out like, how does all this fit? Like I love music and this, but I'm like, have this kind of interest in doing something intellectual. Like I thought about doing like mechanical engineering and like, there was like all these things that I was looking into of trying to figure out, how this all fits. And so when I discovered mixing kind of by accident, I was like, whoa, this is both in one thing. Like I can be creative because when I hear music, I hear all of it. I hear how it all comes together, how it all should sound and work together and fit. I'm not like the specialist in one part or one instrument. Like I want to piece it all together and make it fit and sound, become a song. And then there's so much like physics and math and like to make to getting it to sound good like it's not it's an ear thing and an artistic thing but it's also it's science a science like and it's so intellectually stimulating and there's always more to learn so that was really fascinating to me and I found myself at a point where I I like fell into that in college as a side job and like opportunities just kept coming and was always kind of interested in it but acting was my first love and I always wanted to move to LA and try that so I was like I'm going to do this found some jobs here and there mixing to kind of make some extra money in LA. So, but how did you fall into that? Um, because that's something you have to set yourself up for. Well, I was working at, as a barista at a coffee shop, as I like kind of mentioned earlier, um, that was also a music venue and they, and the the, sound guy just didn't show up one day and you were like, I know how to turn it on. The guy who's doing sound there, which I hadn't seen in years. And I actually just ran into him. He came to one of the Kendrick shows recently and it was like, he was like, how did this all happen? Like this little girl (laughs) that didn't know anything. And it was so funny because he was just like, I need somebody to run open mic nights on like this little Mackie mixer. That's where all the good guys start. Open mic nights. Yeah, so I've like learned like this is an XLR. This is like literally the basics and just ran open mic nights at this coffee shop for like no money just at like once a week just and was like, this is kind of fun. Like I like doing reverb and making (laughs) like and I was like, this is cool. And then I started like kind of moving up at that venue doing more of like working on kind of the administrative side of the venue and booking and like mixing some other acts, like just kind of working my way up, learning the basics and just trial and error, like mixing people at this little acoustic coffee shop. Um, and met some like pretty big bands through that civil wars came played a couple times, got to know them. Um, tell me, you mix, tell, you, tell me you mix for the civil wars. I can't remember if I did honestly just, or not. Let's just I'm, say you I did. feel like they I feel like they brought their own. I don't think I mixed. I think I just set everything up and like teched it basically. That's awesome. But That's I don't. So cool. I'm such a fanboy. Yeah. Yeah, they're great. But they that was when they had like the first show they did there there was like 10 people who yeah, came. That's so great. But and then they did like three shows in a row and then they were like or like 6 7,000 people. Yeah. It <laughs> in was, three shows. was like then they were just too big. They couldn't come back. But there was a couple of big people who came through there. And so I made some good connections and had like actually an offer to go work for this label in Nashville when I graduated. And I was like, do I want to go the music road? At the time I was like, nah, going to keep doing the acting thing, go to LA. I'm not sure about this. And 
And then when I kind of reached that point, went to Europe, like did the whole thing, like I'm at an acting thing and realized that my intellect was like so hungry. Like acting was not scratching this itch that I had of like learning, challenging myself intellectually. I felt like this sounds egocentric, but I felt too smart for it. I was like, I don't. Like, that's I how he feels like, about our friendship. All it's time. true. I feel too <laughs> smart know. for this. I was like, I don't, I don't, I want to just be like a pretty face on commercials and like smile and pose and be like, say a lot. Like I want to do something that's intellectually challenging. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to like take a break from acting. And I want to like really focus on the sound thing. Cause there's something here that I feel like could really satisfy me and stimulate both sides of that and be intellectually challenging. And I can learn about like sound waves and frequencies and all of this like nerdy stuff, but also be like making music, which I, has always been a huge love of mine. It's just like, I want to make music. I want to be part of that process. I don't know where I fit in the process. I'm not an artist, like in the music sense, but I want to be a part of the process. I want to work with people who are incredible and like help them make something awesome. And so I just decided about probably not even a year and a half ago that I was going to make that number one for a while and just see how that went. So started just asking around with like if I could just mix people's shows around town, like, and started doing that. Um, ended up mixing a couple friends at a place called Hotel Cafe. Got to know other, all the people there and then got hired to do sound there. Were you at Hotel Cafe when we played there? She started, no. She okay. she would have started like a year after. Oh, really? Yeah. That yeah. recent then? I guess yeah. that yeah. was a couple years ago, wasn't yeah. it? Mark? I started okay. at Hotel Cafe last January, not okay. like this past January, but the one before. No, because I remember the sound guy that was there that night. Kind of weird. Yeah, yeah, he was telling me about yeah. that. I was like, yeah. he's probably still there. The same people have been there yeah. for He was a nice guy. He was it it sounded okay in the front, and like actually if you're standing in the crowd, but mm-hmm. I remember we were talking about like, hey, can I get a little bit more vocal? And he would say, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I think so. I think uh, I'm sure. Could I, could I get also a little more guitar? Uh, really? Really? <laughs> are you sure? Like you're, <laughs> like, like you're borrowing a resource from yeah. him. Yeah. Like he's only got yeah. so much yeah. and he needs it for front of house. But <laughs> yeah. I'll give you some. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, so I started there. Um met a lot of people through that. That's like, it's a very reputable venue. It's like so many cool people play there. Like John Mayer just mix, played there recently. Yeah, I've mixed John Mayer there. Like I've mixed James Bay there. You mixed like, John Mayer? Yeah, like what? I know him. Like, I've like met him several times. Like he knows who I am because of Hotel Cafe. Like when he was writing down the street at Capitol Records, he, which he was like, joked about that. He's like, it's so weird that I'm writing a Capitol record. Yeah. Like, how does that happen? But he would like write something and be like, can I, he like very last minute be like, can I just come over and try this? And it's like, see, it was very like workshoppy, like just trying songs for the new record. And it would that be funny because so he would walk down the street <laughs> with his guitar on his back. And by the time he got from Capitol Records to hotel, he would have like 50 people following yeah, just him. Just lines of people. And they and then we would be packed without like, <laughs> telling anybody. It That's funny. Be That's so much like our shows. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, people just, they see us I, in the streets I and can, they come flooding out of I can really stores. relate to that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, That's so incredible. He, there's like amazing people come in there and just like do unannounced surprise shows. So it's an incredible when it comes to like working in house at a venue, which I was like, I don't ever want to do this, but like I'll do it there because it's a sick place and it sounds good in there. And it's like they really people go to there to listen and it's a like it's an incredible venue. So I started doing that, um, made a, like a lot of connections, started meeting a lot of people and really exploring that whole thing and. Eventually, um, 
that sort of led me in one way or another to doing front of house for a band called Gunger. And so I started touring with them and working on kind of that side of things, met somebody through that it's a whole situation that asked me to do this tour that I'm currently on or work for the artist that I'm working for at the moment. Um, his name's Drom. He's a rapper named Drom. So like a big shift in yeah, from genre. Yeah, Gunger to Drom. <laughs> yeah. I would say. He's you know, like, it's very close. different than what you've been doing, but we need a monitor. And I had never done monitor engineering before. Like obviously when you're mixing like smaller venues, you're running monitors and front of house at the same time. Like I've done, I had done monitors doing both for people in like smaller situations, but I had never been like just a monitor engineer. Um and so that blew my mind whenever like I was first in, in like in the music industry at all. And there we were at a venue where there was just a monitor, monitor engineer. I was like, I feel so special. What? Why yeah. is there two of them? You just here so I can hear. Yeah. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, so, cool. it's so bizarre to me. Yeah. So I was like, sure, I'll try that. Like that sounds fun. And so we did, I did like all the festival season with them this year. We did Coachella and Bonner and all that stuff. And, um, and then they, he, the guy who hired me, the production manager was like, we're opening for Kendrick Lamar this summer. Like if you want to do that. And I was like, do I want to do it? Okay. And I was like thinking about it and I was like, this is crazy. Like th- this uh, happened so fast. Like I, yeah. it was not even a year after I decided I'm going to try audio. Next thing I'm like <laughs> getting asked to do the biggest tour of the year. I was like, this is nuts. And so I was like, well, it's going to be an interesting experiment. So I guess I'll try that. And, um, yeah. So I said yes to that. And then the craziest thing is about a month before we left, I had this weird moment where I like watched a film or something that was like, I had this moment where I was watching it and I just missed acting so much. And I like, cried myself to sleep last night because I was like, what am I doing? Like, I missed, like, I want to act again. Like, why is this happening right now? Like I just committed to this other thing and it's going so well. And so then I, this turmoil came back where I was like, shit. Can I kiss on this podcast? <laughs> yes, you can. Because I will undoubtedly do it probably more than my mom would like. <laughs> so, yes, please, please. So backing up, shit. I have to do, like, I can't just do this. There's something that acting gives me that I also need. So I was like, great. Now I have to figure out this whole thing. And But it's like, I'm going to go on this tour. We're going to figure it out. And so... Yeah. So then I said yes to this and now I'm on this arena tour mixing monitors and like, it's been so fun and crazy and nuts, but. So now we arrive yeah. where we so aside now we are from. Out there, which, but also we skipped another thing that I do want to talk about, which is the gender thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we weren't I don't done know with what that we should yet. do first, but. Uh, th- see, th- this is kind of two in one for us because we're like, what is it like for you being the one yeah. small white female yes. with a crew of 200 and like most of them, you know, old like men, all dudes, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, so gender does kind of play a yeah, role here in that, as- in that aspect, but, but also just what it's like. So yeah. where do you, where do you want to start? I don't care. Well, I would say, I yeah, I, before this tour, I definitely felt a thing of like, there's no girls that do this. Like on the hotel cafe side of things, especially having different artists come in and people and they're like, where's the sound guy? And I'm like, <laughs> are you the merch me? girl? Like, are you the sound guy's girlfriend? Like, what? Oh, kind of, like all that kind of stuff and dealing with from people. here on out, I'm referring to you as the sound guy's girlfriend. Yeah, That's going to be, no, I'm just kidding. I've gotten that a lot. <laughs> Can I make you a shirt, like a mechanic shirt that just the sound guy on it so people know yeah like, there you go or like I'd have a dude like standing next to me and they'd come and start and I'm the one with my hands on the faders and they'd be like hey dude can I get like more of whatever and I'm like 
That's my bodyguard. Like I'm (laughs) right here. Like it just the amount of times that stuff like that would happen, or like not as much with artists sometimes, but more with artist managers where they just talk to me in a really patronizing way. And like I really had to learn to like speak up for myself and have some more kind of presence and confidence about things because I was getting walked all over like so messed up. Yeah. I was like, this is okay, I'm in control here. Like I like or having to tell people their set was over and their time's up and they're like, no, I'm just going to keep playing. I'm like, excuse me, like one more song. Mute. <laughs> yeah. So I really that I feel like I've had to learn. I've grown a lot as a person because of being in a man's world, like what it's made me have to like to have to step up a little bit and have a little more like confidence and presence for like me being a naturally very like shy, meek person. So that's been interesting. But, and so I used to think like, yeah, it's like so hard. I had no idea until I did this tour, honestly, like really why there's no women in this industry. And now I get it on a whole new level. Like I thought I was like, yeah, this is all annoying and whatever. It's just the smells and the bus. That alone, yeah, right? That. But <laughs> I'm realizing now on this scale, like of touring and like the scale of the music industry and do like being an engineer in the live sense, I'd say it's very, probably a very different story in the studio sense. But strictly speaking about live, on this tour, I've realized that at least 90% of my job on a day-to-day basis is not mixing. It's physical labor. It's moving stuff. <laughs> yeah. And so it's so hard for me to like try to not be like a weakness to everybody around me because I am physically small. <laughs> and so, and I'm not like, obviously people listening can't see me, but I'm not a, like, I'm a very small petite person and I look 12. So it's like, it doesn't I think you totally look 25. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of people think I'm like 12. So I definitely look young. I look younger than I am. I'm very small. And so when I'm pushing like road cases around and like lifting shit and there's forklifts every everywhere and like people in construction hats and like stage and like all these moving parts and it's like we're building a, a stage and flying like every day it's like such a massive production and a big part and we don't have like um on this tour being the openers like we don't have a bunch I don't have a bunch of text to do it for me like I'm responsible for setting up all my stuff every day, tearing it down, like Dela. And I have stage hands to delegate to, but then I have to be like confident to be like, Hey, do this, like move this for me. Otherwise it doesn't get done and I'm not doing my job well. So. I've always been curious about this with, cause obviously there's plenty of successful women with, with lots of power and, yeah. you know, but do you feel like coming from where you're at, like when you have to be confident do you feel like the only way they listen to you is if you act, act kind of pissed off or just like overly strong or are people receptive just to like, well, she's kind of above me. So I'll listen to her. Yeah, no, I definitely like it's, it's the com- people always talk about women always talk about like, you have to be, people think you're a bitch or like, they're like, oh, she's like, you like, you can't be nice and have stuff get done. The amount of times I've asked somebody to move something somewhere and they just don't do it. Right. Like, it's ridiculous. I'm like, hey, <laughs> put that over here. Like, yeah. what? and they're just like, what? No, like, no, people don't listen to me in the same way. And it's, it's incredibly frustrating. And I've had a lot of like, yeah, a lot of really hard moments of just feeling really isolated and alone because it's such a man's world. Not only is everybody men, but they're also all a lot older than me. Like I'm sick. Like some of the people in the bands, like 
the musicians are younger, but as far as people doing what I'm doing or like the like people just the crew that's around me is a lot older than me. And so it's weird because I'm in this position where I'm having to delegate things and tell people what to do. People who are pretty egocentric, like older men. Yeah. And probably have been on the road longer. Yeah. And so so they feel like there's a seniority. Yeah. There's a seniority thing. Like they're like, I've been touring for 25 years and what? And so like people, they, and there's a lot of ego in sound, which is, I don't know why, but like, it's a funny subculture of my ears are really awesome. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, everybody wants you, everybody wants you to know that they're the most, like who they've toured with, like all the experience they have, like everybody wants to be the best. That's just LA though. I go out to or LA. It's, it's everywhere. Well, L- yeah, but, but especially LA and Nashville. I'll be like, hi, I'm Sean. And they'll be like, hi, I've done this and this and this and this and this and blah, blah, blah. And by the way, my name is that. And I'm like, I don't, I don't care. I don't care. I just want to know you as a human being. So is most of your crew from LA or are they kind of from yeah, everywhere? Yeah, a lot of people are from LA, but people are from all over. But yeah, I'd say a lot of LA, but it's just for some weird reason, it's like sound guys. They're just like huge egomaniacs and it's like and I've kind of actually that's like something I don't know if I should reveal my secret but one of the reasons I've like I feel like I've gotten as far as I am is by using that to my advantage because it's really easy to be like tell me like you're so good like tell me about like what you're doing and they're like well I do this and this and this and this and I'm like huh tell me more tell me more like I've like stolen everyone's secrets by playing into their ego wow like and I've learned so much about audio because usually they're very they're not they like don't want to tell anybody like it's this huge secretive competition of like my sound and how I get there but I've taken I've used that to my advantage that I am this like young innocent looking like girl that they assume is would never dumb replicate. and knows nothing. And like, I've used that to my advantage and played into it and been like, teach me this, like, tell me all like, and then I'm like, Oh, okay. If there's good stuff, then I use it. <laughs> and then like, I've gotten better oh, because of that. A bit and of so, a shark. What's so funny is if you're listening to this, you can't see it, but even, well, I'll just prove right now that you're a great actress or actor. <laughs> how you say that? Because even you telling us the story, I could see your face and your emotion change from the person who's trying to get information from this egocentric narcissist sound guy. And then when you're like, okay, and you switched. And I like literally saw two different characters like evolving and going back and forth. Yeah. There's a time to like put on like the respect me. I'm a professional and like I know what I'm doing. And there's time to play into the like so young and I don't know anything <laughs> like and I definitely have I'm not gonna lie I've used that to my advantage uh, but if we have Shadowscape Emmys you, you're gonna get one yeah also I'm not telling you any of my secrets <laughs> I'm no, just kidding I, actually, like, I don't know if I should say this because now people no, are gonna like know my tricks. I've never been that way and maybe it's maybe it's because I'm some kind of egotist but I love teaching like Nobody on my end, in the, in the studio anyway, nobody ever wants to know the horrible, nerdy things that I know. And so when I find someone that's actually interested and I can be like, let's talk about multi-band dynamics yeah. processing. And they're then interested in that. I'm like, oh my gosh. Well, that's There's I another think, human connection I can make that cares about a thing that I yeah. care about. And a lot of people feel that way, I think. And so it's very easy to play into that because a lot of people feel that way, I think. And everybody's so like doggy dog at it and like, competitive with each other about like who's the best that it's very rare for a sound person to have the humility enough to be like hey this sounds really good what are you doing no one does that like and so when someone does that they're like oh 
well, I'd love to show you because they're so proud and they want to talk about it and they want to nerd out and everybody has that in them, but nobody has the humility to be like, hey, will you show me what you're doing here? And I feel like it's been easy for me because I don't have this like older sound guy male ego issue to be like, hey, I'm learning. Like, can you show me what you're doing? And just that I feel like has taken me a long way because I wouldn't have learned so much stuff that I've learned if I were to always be just pretending like I'm the best one in the room and never mm-hmm. ask anybody any questions. Like mm-hmm. you're limiting yourself by Absolutely. doing that. I feel like you you gain so much by giving all your secrets away because the second that you say, this is all I've got, this is my whole tool belt, I'm going to teach you exactly how to do it. Knowing that you could at any point replicate everything that I'm doing and take me out is the one thing that makes me go, I'm going to always give all my information away, all my tricks, all my secrets away so that I push myself to get better than that. So by the time that you learn how to do the 50 things that I do great, I'm past that. And you're going to catch me, but you're going to catch old me. And 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 I think too many sound guys or t- just creatives in general, we're like, this is our secrets. This is how we do it. This is what we do. And nobody's going to know how to do that so I can stay in this little spot where only I can do it. But why, why stay there? Like if, if you, ha- if you have to get better, cause you know, everyone's going to catch you otherwise, like you're getting better. You're actually learning. And I don't know. I just think there's so far to go. What, what console are you working on right now? Um, on this tour, we're using Digico SD9. The first half we had SD12. So now we have SD9s, but for live stuff, I'm pretty Hardcore Digico. Okay. Usually. And they run, they can run like Waves plugins and like third party mm-hmm. plugins and stuff, can't yes. they? Yes. Yes. That's a big, they do that pretty well. Other consoles can do that as well, but they're very Waves compatible. Um, they use fiber optic reels for like communication between the consoles, which is to, in layman's terms is actually light. It's like beams right. of light. So it's just a lot. It's really small. It's easy to run the snake. Like there's just a lot of things about it that just make life easier. Um, they sound good, and I I just feel really comfortable using them. They're industry standard. Kendrick's engineers are also using Digico SC7s. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan of those. But I the little bit of studio stuff that I've played around with, I did like when I first started being interested in learning about studio mixing. I started helping out at a place a studio in LA that has a Neve console from the seventies. And that's like my dream world is like old vintage seventies analog, like outboard gear. That's like the best to me, but that you can't really take that kind of stuff on the road, obviously. So it's like the closest I can get to in a live sense, the closest I can get to that warm analog sound is always what I'm going for. And I feel like, Digico has a lot of capabilities to get things to sound that way that I'm looking for aesthetically. There's a lot of magic in those old consoles, isn't yes. there? Yes. I didn't get it until I touched one. Yeah, Until I same. owned one. And there, there really is. I used to think it was snake oil when I'd, yeah. re- when I'd read all the Gear Sluts forums. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is some magic in there. That is a real website in case you have never been a, a nerd. Gear yeah. Sluts is not... Something site? that I made up. That's not a Sean <laughs> yeah, endorsed term. That, I mean, is a, it, that is a gear forum. One it's of the best a, known ones. It's such a funny. Oh, when, man. When, when I someone, hate it because when someone opens my computer and they see it, like I think it looks like I'm on like <laughs> yeah, some it, other it kind it of looks, website. It, you know, it's like the sleazy. Black kinda, it yeah. looks like a weird. It looks sleazy. And it it's makes so me funny though when you're like you're hanging around like friends who aren't in like 
gear at all. And you're just you at, you you're at dinner eating chips and salsa, and you're like, yeah, I was reading on gear sluts, and everyone's like, <gasps> you just why feel are you the air saying suck this out, out the loud? Room. But <laughs> anyway. anyway, so do you use like Waves plug-in emulations of vintage 70s stuff when you're like, vocal chain, go. <laughs> um, I actually, at this point, have tried to use as little as possible as far as outboard plugins just because of number one, latency, and number two, just being fail-safe because there is... There, there is crashes and problems and things go like the amount of times that like a plugin isn't working. And so to be dependent on it is a risk like it is. So I try to do as much as I can um, without it and then only use what I have to. Right now with this tour, with since I'm mixing ear mixes, I'm not using many. I'll use more at front of house definitely than with monitors. Um, I'll usually do like uh, like compressor over everything like a c6 compressor or something like that kind of to keep things in check um is what i'll use often but yeah i try to use um usually i'll i'll use some sort of like plate reverb some sort of hall reverb and then a long delay and like a slap delay is like bread and butter like pretty basic stuff that i know is going to be on anything and then i'll just kind of play around depending on the artist or like the style of like which ones i use um, and so whatever combination of that, but I try to use in, to start with inboard stuff. There is a console that is new called the D live. It's, um, I just like did a mix a show on it and I'm curious to work with it more. That has a lot of, their whole thing is a lot of inboard plugins. They have like an 1176 compressor inboard that, that's like pretty good. Um, pretty similar to the waves one and a lot of stuff that is like just right there. So you don't have any latency. You don't have to worry about it crashing. And so that's really interesting. I hope to see kind of more of that as like more inboard plugins to be able to play with that a little more. D Live, that's DigiDesign, right? Is that? No, it's Allen and Heath. Oh, is it? Yeah, everybody just uses the D, like the D something. Okay, because there used to be like D control. Well, you're thinking the Avid stuff. Yeah, that's what I thought you were referring to. The D show, yeah, that's Avid. But the D Live is the new Allen and Heath console. Okay. Yeah, and they have a lot of um a lot of inboard stuff and you can put you can use as many as you want. You can put them on like every single channel, you can put them on your buses, you can put them like all over the place and it's no latency, which is like really cool. Um they're still new, so they're just not as like you can't find them as easily and they don't have the same kind of support system yet, but I would like to see things going more in that direction of having a lot more so you're not having to rely on like waves compatibility cuz it's just it's just risky. Um, and I'm a big fan of simplicity. Like I like to try to get, to get things to sound good. Cause every time you're adding, especially in a live setting, every time you're adding extra processing, like it's just adding more latency, more like risk for error, more you're like, you're adding something else for it to like, to convert to analog in the back. Like you're just adding more things to, for it to process. And there's just a number of technical issues that you're introducing the more processing you're adding in. So I try to keep things simple. Like I'm a very subtractive mixer when it comes to EQing. Like I just do things in a in a minimal way. So because of that, I like to start at the source and work backwards at like how do we get like the best 
like start with the best possible amp, the best possible mic, like the be- the shortest amount of cable. Like how do we make everything perfect, like the placement? So if something's not sounding right, I would like to go to the source and figure out how can we change the mic out? Can we adjust this a little bit? Because I would like to get it coming into the console sounding as close to what I want before I do any like messing with it. I want it to sound pretty much there. Um, so that's kind of my thought process. Those are really good fundamentals. Yeah. It took me years to figure that out. Years. I think a majority of people that I see running front of house or even like at home when they're recording themselves for the first time, they'll just throw any mic in front of their voice in any in position, any, just any position yeah. and sing into it and go, okay, we'll now that we've post. got it, how, what plugin is going to make me sound great when maybe that saturation would have came just using the right mic and a good pre. Like, you know, I think it's extremely important. Like, what are you, like, how does that amp actually sound? What is, where is that microphone actually placed? Because that, I think most of the time, those big records you hear, that's where it started. It's not mm-hmm. lots of plugins. It's not lots of anything. And a great player and a great source. Yeah. yeah. You know, that makes, that makes all like, the difference. I've had to learn that. So like, there's some, so many times I'm like, why won't this sound the way I want it? And like, Sometimes you just don't have a good band and it like got the thing. <laughs> and sometimes like when I go to a show and I'm like, oh my God, like who did I see recently? Father John Misty. Oh my gosh. It sounded so insane. And I was like, what? How is this? What is he doing? Is like voodoo magic. But like that, they sound incredible as a band. It's just like such a good band and they're so tight. And you can't, you can't fix like bad musicians. There's yeah. no button or fader that's like be in tune. Like <laughs> unless well, you're a studio, tune, like, and then they expect well. you to. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that that's been probably one of the things that has disenchanted me the most about being an audio engineer is like I- exactly what you just said. You encapsulated it in in a moment of time when you said sometimes you just can't get the sound that you want because they aren't that good. Like they aren't capable of it. And that that's a really tough, especially as a studio engineer. Like for me, when we get to mix down, there are days that I'm like, I'm working seven times harder. And this just doesn't sound like the last record that I made. What has happened? Have I fried my ears? Am I bad at something? Did he I do something wrong? He has so many existential crises. I really like, do. What have I done? Where? And it's just like, well, you had a really, really kick-ass band, and this one's just—they don't practice this it's much. It's really easy to—they <laughs> have no not, idea what they're doing. It's re- so easy though to be like, "What am I doing wrong?" and not realize, and then it's, it's like somebody else has to tell me, like, "Yeah, they were off today." Like, I'm like, "Oh." That's why I'm like, why is this this, like kick drum like not sound like it did yesterday? And it's like, okay, well, they're hitting it, you know, differently. Like sometimes you don't realize things like that. But that makes you such a great audio engineer because I can tell you from being an artist on stage as as an artist, I need an audio engineer that's on my side, that cares about me, that cares about my music, that cares about my art and what's happening on stage. Brings me so much comfort because as an audio engineer and an artist, my brain is there. Even though I'm on stage trying to be an artist, I'm like, is this guy, is he even using the compressor in my vocals? Like, is he, does he care? The fact that you care so much that you would bear the burden of, it doesn't sound good today. What am I doing wrong? And you start there rather than what's the artist doing wrong. I think, I think that shows that you have the right mentality as an audio engineer. Our job is to be teammates. And to know enough about what they're doing to be able to say, to be able to hear the difference and be able to be like, Hey, can you like 
like project your vocals in this way a little more like can you like set do these settings on your amp like whatever you it needs to be like to be able to hear the difference be like this isn't right because of this and rather than hacking it up with a bunch of like extra plugins and stuff like um the more I'm having feeling like I'm having to add things and like change manipulate things like if there's a certain point where I'm like I'm putting way too much on this like something's wrong at the source and I just need to redo this and like and it was going on like more of a studio side of things like it's you know you need to like retract something if you, if I have like more than like six or seven like different plugins on it I'm like so this is when you need to redo this like I want like two on when, there you know when you're running a like, DSP it's like I might be doing this exactly. wrong exactly <laughs> it's like maybe we should try a different mic or just read like do because yeah and I didn't really learn that until like working in a little bit in that studio that I mentioned earlier with that Neve console, like those doing tracking stuff in there would be like using a couple really sick mics and like using a little bit of outboard gear, like a compressor and like maybe something else. And then like, like no more than two things and then running it through that console, doing like a little bit of EQ on it. And it sounded amazing. Sounds like a record. Like, yeah. And you're like, Oh, we haven't even like, done anything in Pro Tools yet. Like, this is just, like, through... And that's what people are trying to get at and imitate is, like, that sound. And it's so much of it comes from simplicity and from the source. And people get really excited about when you're, like, especially when you're working in the box about, like, all these... Adding all this different stuff and, like, Mm -hmm. having this long, complex, like, vocal chain. And it's, like, okay, like, what are... Are you actually helping it or getting away? You start to lose that, like life of the natural kind of rawness and I'm a big fan of and that's just taste but I'm a big fan of like raw natural like stuff that's full of life and doesn't sound too clean or too manipulated you're in a good place that's (laughs) that's almost entirely how we operate it's so much more important to capture something that's truly special and truly magical and truly just in that moment like it really feels like you get all the feels that you're supposed to not waiting to hope that when you get your mixes back like oh there it is you know you want the band to be playing along and they finish their drum tracks and they walk in the control room and go what the heck is that me like oh my gosh and you know but it's just it's such a cultural norm within like home recordings and and you know, the the idea that we can all be famous and we can all be superstars and we're all great and special, which in, in some ways we are. But a lot of people not um, educating themselves right out of the gate, like mic placement matters and preamps do matter and microphone selection to your voice or to your, your instrument really does matter. And just those fundamentals, even though they seem so common sense once, usually once we get five years down the road and go, oh, <laughs> it, it makes all the difference. Yeah. Because most of the time where I've heard something that I'm like, this sounds insane. And then I ask, like, if I ever get the opportunity to ask, like, how did you do, like, get this to sound this way? Most of the time it's been like, I used this mic and I did it this way. Rarely is it like, well, this plugin doing this thing is like, you know, it's usually comes from just the way that it's recorded. And that's actually gotten me more interested in like becoming more of an engineer in the studio side of things rather than just, I used to think like I just wanted to mix, like how people send me stems and like mix. But then the more I've like played around with that, the more I'm like, I want to be a part of the whole process because 
If you get bad stems, there's nothing you yeah, can do. Yeah, <laughs> like I don't want to be playing doctor or something that sounds terrible. Yeah. Like yep. there's like not, not a whole lot you it's can do in that way. a great way to put it. So much of it comes from like, like the source. And so that's kind of made me more interested in like, okay, well maybe I want to, maybe I'm interested in being more of like a studio engineer than dressed like a mixer. It's, um, I have found that putting the work in on the front end saves me so much work on the back end. And I think, I think all audio engineers who stick with it long enough, anyone who would call themselves an audio engineer has that moment of renaissance when they realize everything is better when you do it right from the beginning and when you keep it simple. My, my mixes used to be insane. It used to be just piles and piles of plugins. And I've gotten to where now, if, if we tracked the toms well, I don't do anything to the toms. Well, well we use an analog console. Well, and it's funny too, when you're, you're first trying to make records and you're trying to make them big and awesome. And it's almost like you feel like you've gotten a badge that you can wear when it's like, yep, there's 248 tracks on that. Yep. Yeah. And you're like, yep. there's, you know, you've got maybe like- We'll use 76 a, wave plugins. Yeah. There's like nine guitars yeah. doing the same thing because you're like, man, that's going to be huge and wide. And you're just so ignorant. And now we're like- sometimes we don't even double a guitar and it's like, oh, that's six times bigger than it used to be because we chose the right EQ and it's panned in the right area. It's just so funny how, you know, when you first started out, it's like, yeah, it'll be great if there's 400 tracks on this for the singer-songwriter song. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it is really a mindset change. And I think think it took took a lot of trial and error and it took me, you know, I'm sure you do the same thing. Like you just stay up late watching YouTube videos of other mix engineers and what they do. And, you know, I'm listening to these old greats and they're like, they're like, you dumb, stupid kids with your technology, just stop, just stop with the compression and stop with, you know, and, and dial it back. And I did, I started to just sort of trust. Well, first it had to be artists that we trusted as artists, but once we were recording artists that we really, they were a caliber that we trusted, you just trust the artist and you do your best to capture it honestly and with integrity. And a lot of times there's not much to do on the backside. There really isn't a lot to do. And, and, and it sounds like a record. Whereas with these previous artists, we'd be smashing the crap out of everything. And then when you get done, there's no dynamic and there's no real life to it. And it doesn't sound huge. It's the opposite. It's the opposite of huge. Well, and like in the live setting, it's, it's interesting because like so much of it has to do, like I never go into anything thinking like this is exactly how this is going to go. And this is exactly how I do things. Cause so much of it depends on the room, the artist, like everything that's going on. like, I try it when I'm mixing at hotel, it's kind of a fun game of like, I don't know who I'm going to be mixing that night. I don't know their music until they start playing. And so it's a, it keeps me in like, it's good practice to be like, okay, like what, how am I going to do this one this time? And I try to stay present and fresh. Cause I think a lot of people who are like venue front of house people, they just get really bored and they just kind of set it up and they don't really listen. Cause they don't care. They're just clocking in. Yeah. But I love being like, okay, what am I going to do with this person? Like maybe I'll try something different and it's a good way to play around with different stuff and see what works for different people. But at hotel, a lot of it is like, it's a good sounding room. Like the way we have everything set up, like I retune the PA every day before I come in. I re-ring out the monitors every day before I come in. That's amazing. A lot of people don't do. No, I can't even get a sound guy to compress my vocals most of the time. Sean just carries around his own compressors because he's like, in case you don't have one, here's one. This is how I use it. Well, that's what we were saying earlier. I feel bad like 
I understand that like there's a lot of bad sound people in small singer songwriter venues. Like they're terrible. And it's like when people come in, like they're so all these artists are so traumatized and just like, please like don't and I just don't have to feel like up, I have to like give a speech every time <laughs> of like, hey, like I care. I'm gonna make you sound good. Like I know what I'm doing and I'm here because I wanna be and I like this. Like I don't have to be here. It would be so awesome since you're an actress and you have so many like resources to actually make like a short, you should make a short about you being a confident, great sound person. And every band that you know you're going to mix, just send it, like email it to like their their manager beforehand and be like, hi, I'm Emily. Yeah. I'm going to be mixing for you today. I want you to trust me. Yeah, and, like, Because people do, they bring in all of this stuff and like all of the, because they're like, okay, they don't trust me. Like people will be like, I'm doing my own monitor mix this way and through this thing. And can we route everything through this? And I'm like, oh my God, like, no, let's stop. Like, you can trust me. We're going to do this, like flatten everything out, take out all that stuff. Like we're, cause it's, it doesn't, it's better. Yeah. Cause you can do a better job yeah. than they can do on stage. Yeah. Not cause if they were off stage, they couldn't do as good a job, but they're the artist that night. Yeah. You can do a better job if they let you. Yeah, totally. The trouble is. I get is, why they don't trust me. I'm that artist most of the time. I really am. hundred percent. 100% of the time because I've had so many sound guys like it'll be halfway through the night you know and he's like sloshed and in yep. the bathroom or out back taking a smoke or whatever desk, yeah. you know and 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 that's why we tour together where because I can be like hey sound guy uh that 2k sounds pretty rough on that guitar and uh uh, his vocals muted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we need each other. We'll to just be- tech, we'll tech each other. We babysit each other's sets because I would say sixty five percent of the guys that run sound for us on the road are that. I'm surprised it's not more. Honestly, that's like it just seems it seems so. Yeah, I don't know why that is. It like I don't know why those people are doing sound or like well, what the situation is, but it really is a thing. I liken it because being a sound person is super sexy. That's why. Well, I was gonna say I liken it to like to the mean elementary school teacher is what I liken it to, and what I mean by that is, I remember like as a kid just pondering like why in the world would you be a mean elementary school teacher? Why would you be so mean? And then I grew up and I watched friends become teachers uh. and I watched them be jaded by children and be, you know, like, and maybe they, they, they That's love. That's a good band name. They, jaded by children. That's a great <laughs> band name. I thought I have a whole list of band names in my <laughs> phone go. that it's just an ongoing thing. Well, a lot of sound engineers are probably aspiring musicians that aren't making it. So, so that that's my sense. thought is, is, so a lot of times what I'll do is I'll walk into the venue and I'll introduce myself to the audio engineer and I'll memorize his name. And I'm terrible at memorizing names. I'm dyslexic. I can't memorize anybody's name. And I'll memorize his name. And I'll, anytime I need something, I'll be like, Joey, could you help me with, with this? You know, and, and, I'll, and, and I'll thank him and I'll interact with him and I'll make eye contact with him and I'll ask him if there's anything he needs from me. You know, and I have found that when I do that, not only does A, he let me use my own mic and B, he, you know, is more attentive to help me dial in my monitors, but the rest of the night, 
he listens to my set mm-hmm. and he pays attention yeah. and I can doctor fill these guys yeah. into doing their job and try by making them feel valued. I sort of like restore their original love for the, like the art, like the reason they started yeah. mixing. It's playing on the same th- thing of like how I learn stuff by playing into their ego <laughs> yeah. because they're really like, you guys fragile, are manipulative, like self, like they have these, like this, identity crisis where they want to be valued and they want people to think they're cool. And but so they've been chewed out that, by artists yeah, and kicked so when around. You play into and it, you're like, gosh, you're so awesome. Like, and they're like, Oh, thanks. Like yeah. they need that. Like when people are like, Oh, this guy is just like a mean person. And yeah. like, they just need to feel like value. Yeah, absolutely. I would, I was just curious if the dynamic or the interaction, you know, kind of going back to like the sound world is a bit of a boys club. You know, I wondered if it would be refreshing for a band like Joseph or a band like the Staves, you know, to, to like have a crew that's more like when their sound person is you and it's like, Oh, maybe, maybe we'll get like treated like a normal, like artist today. Or I would you- love to, that's kind of my dream situation would be to mix a band like the Staves, like, or Joseph. I would love They're to mix something so like great. that. They yeah. should make a six person band. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> They're insane. Like, and that would be kind of my dream situation. That's like my favorite genre of music to mix. I love mixing vocals and harmonies and like that would be really fun. That if they had if they had like a string trio with them, then that would be my dream band. Cause I also love mixing strings, which has been really fun with some of the Gunger shows. We like a lot of the Gunger shows we tour with a string trio. And it's so fun. You're legitimately the only sound engineer I've ever heard that says I like mixing live strings yeah live strings (laughs) can be tricky it's hard but you have to know how to do it right but yeah I mean I don't it's definitely not an easy thing to do but violin was my first instrument okay so I know a little bit more about like how they're supposed to sound and um yeah, that violin was like, I learned how to read music on it. I played in an orchestra. Like I played violin for a long time. So your ears so, I have, so ready for it. Yeah, I have an appreciation for classical music and for strings. And so I think that's probably part of it. But I love, I love getting like the strings to sound like well blended and big and beautiful. And it's so fun to me. So I think my dream situation would be mixing a band with like a lot of female harmonies and strings and drums. Cause I love mixing drums. Yeah. So that has to be part of it too. I feel like you can't be an, a sound engineer and not love drums. <laughs> drums are my favorite <laughs> yeah. thing in the studio. And I, and I can't touch a drum set. Well, it's because I there's mean, so much to play with. Like there's so much fun things you can do with drums. It's like if every the frequency good. appears. Drums also are my worst nightmare though. Live too. <laughs> it all just depends on who the drummer is and how big the room is. Like in a tiny room with a bad drummer, worst nightmare. Oh, sure. <laughs> sure. Worst nightmare. They don't know how, I mean, it's difficult to play to the room even if you're good and they're not but <laughs> if you're a bad drummer you're not gonna like this podcast no, you're so not. this podcast is not for you <laughs> really just if you're a bad musician or a relatively cliche person anyway Sean's talking directly to me at this point <laughs> no I'm not not at all um to me I just feel like there's more to play with like it, it just makes things more interesting, especially when I'm mixing like singer songwriters night after night and I'm like, okay, singer and guitar. And then you get like a good drummer and you're like, Oh, I get to play with yeah. something fun I get to make the subs and work. Like, yeah. Especially playing in a, like in a bigger venue when you actually can like mix the drums because mixing drums in a small venue is not fun because usually I, if it's pretty small, I only really do like an overhead and a kick mic and like maybe a snare mic. That's pretty much it. 
just because there, you don't need anything more than that. There's like so much bleed of them. But if you're mixing in a big enough venue where I actually have like 12 channels of drums and like parallel compression going and like all this stuff to where I really get to like play with them and make them sound like really like crunchy and awesome. That's really fun for me. If someone came up to you and said like, I really look up to you. I think you're awesome. How do I do that? You know, I know we talked about it a little bit in the car on the drive over. What would you say to them? What would you like if, if some, if some like when you were talking about your, your, one of your friends, 14, you know, who's like, I've, you know, I've seen her. She's like a mini you, but what if she said, I want to do what you do? What would you tell her? How would you tell her to take what she wants to do and what she thinks is awesome and guide her into that in a way that might make her less jaded or less confused than maybe we are sometimes. I would say the most important thing is to just know that there's no right way to do anything. And there's no, definitely not one way to do anything. And I think it's, it's about more than anything, figuring out like what you need to be happy and kind of boiling down like what as a creative person, like what are my outlets? What do I need to be doing on a day-to-day basis? Like getting really specific about rather than thinking like, I want to be this one day or whatever, like on a day-to-day basis, when I wake up and think like, this was an awesome day, I feel so like purposeful and fulfilled. What are those things? And like boil down kind of what those are and figure out a way, like how do these fit together? How can I make how can I maximize and do this the most in my life? And just to know that it can be a weird combination of things. Like it doesn't have to be this normal, like focused on one thing kind of career. And you can figure out your own way of doing that. And another thing that I read once that has really changed my perspective about life in general is actually a Joseph Campbell idea that life isn't linear it's more of these series of circular journeys and that you kind of go on this hero's journey and then you end up at the end of it you end up back where you started but with new knowledge and at this new beginning and that changed my whole perspective of life because rather than counting down on this timeline of like how how far am I in this thing like did I waste all this time going down the wrong path and now I'm like all this time's gone and I'm doing this other thing rather than thinking of it that way it's like I went on this journey and it was awesome and now it's over. Like, what's the next one? And to know that not everything has to be forever and to just try stuff and see where it takes you. And it may take you down a weird way to get where you thought you were going, but it just wasn't the way you thought. And so for me, that's been like, I look back at my life so far and it's been all of these little journeys and where then I ended up back at the end and I'm like, okay, I did that. Like, What's next? What do I turn next? Like, how do these fit in together? So I would say to anybody just, yeah, figuring out like, what do you want to do now on a day-to-day basis that makes you happy? And how can, what's the best way to fit all that together and, and to do that every day as much as possible. And then just follow that and trust the journey and like, go say yes to things and go where it takes you and just trust that process. What a much more comfortable, enjoyable way to live too. Rather than saying, so many of us, we pick up a guitar and a week into it, we play a, a song for someone and they're like, that's awesome. And then the next thing we think is, well, I think it's time to be famous. I think I can do that. That's what I want. <laughs> and then we spend years chasing this ideal that we don't even understand how to get there, let alone what it takes or what what that even is. And I think it's, it's so much more of a beautiful experience to go, what does life have for me right now? And what do I really want to do? Yeah. And like, how do I 
wherever I'm at and whatever I'm doing, how do I do what things that fulfill me creatively in that moment? And we talked about this a little bit earlier, but on this tour, like I had this realization before I left, like, oh my gosh, I'm misacting. Like, what am I I'm doing the wrong thing? And then I've been on this tour and it's been really interesting. And I've learned a lot. And one of the things I've learned is like, I don't know if this is necessarily the career path for me. I don't think, I don't know if in the end I want to be like a front of house person or a monitors person for like arena tours forever. Like touring is really hard. Being on the road is rough. Like, and I love LA. I love being there. And there's a lot of other things I love doing. So now that I'm on this tour and I don't regret going because like now I know that and I'm like, okay, I'm seeing what this looks like. I'm trying it firsthand. Not sure if it's the end goal for me. But I've learned so much and it's gotten me to a really good place. So I'm grateful for it. And I'll probably do more touring here and there in the future. But it's helped me figure out what I don't want to do by trying it. So there's nothing wrong there. And now it's more of a question of like, okay, I'm here. I'm on the road for another month. Rather than just being like, well, I can't wait till I get back to LA so I can get back <laughs> to my other creative things that I'd rather be doing. Like, what? how can I use this to my advantage and keep creating, keep like being an artist because that's why I feel like it's dying in me right now is like this is awesome but like I am an artist at heart like I have to create I have to be doing something more tangibly creative and expressive than loading up a bunch of stuff and standing at the console every day like that is just not creative enough for me and that's fine and it's good that I'm learning this but now I'm like okay how do I keep creating while I'm doing this so I'm trying to write every day if I can. I'm trying to figure out like, okay, I'm touring right now. Like I'm traveling right now for free, like getting paid to travel. So how can I use this to like collaborate with people? Maybe I don't see all the time. So here we are doing this. Cause I was like, oh my gosh, like I can use my day off to like go like do a shoot. So I'll like hit up Corey. And then now here we are doing this podcast. And I'm like shooting a video with a friend of mine who's a dancer in New York for this poem next week. So it's like, I was like, okay, how can I use this to my advantage to think outside the box and make sure I'm still making art. I'm still creating. I've been like coordinating with people back in LA, like sending stuff back and forth, like having someone score this poem and like working on projects remotely. Like, I think you just have to not be defeated in where you're at. I love that you're on tour. You have a job, (laughs) but you're also like, you're like connecting with, like we did a photo shoot this morning and, and you're doing a podcast now and all these things. And you're just like, What's funny is we talked about hustle and the hustle mentality and how it's kind of like overplayed and there's not a lot of depth, but you're, you're like hustling your art in a way that it's like, this is a really cool plant, but I want it to be bigger. And, and being this plant being bigger is actually going to be more colorful and vibrant and my life's going to be deeper and more meaningful. And I think that that's, it's funny. We were, I felt like we were kind of dissing hustle, but I love that you obviously have a lot of it. But it seems to come from a place that's not, man, I want to be really great and people to know me, but I just I got to create. Well, it comes from it's it's not hustle for the sake of hustle or coming from feeling like I'm not good enough, which I definitely have my fair share of wrestling with that. But it's more of like taking care of my creative health. I feel like it's just like going to the gym every day or like whatever you're doing to keep up with your health. To me, it's like I have to be making stuff or I feel awful about myself. Like it's just part of my health upkeep. And so it's just maintaining that, figuring out a way, no matter where I am and what I'm doing. And it's, then that's where it goes back to just whatever you need as a person to be happy and healthy, like figuring that out. What does my life look like when it's happy and healthy? And for a lot of people, 
being on touring on the road, like doing what I'm doing is the dream and it is the end goal and that's what they need to be happy. And then in that case, it's like, yeah, do it, go to bed, like be happy yeah. where your eyes like great but for me that's personally so old school, though like you have a good job what what's wrong with that yeah <laughs> but for some people like maybe that's the thing and that's all they need and that's awesome and that's great but for me personally I need I need a lot of these other things in my life to feel happy and healthy and good and so I just have to make sure I'm making time and figuring out a way to be making stuff to be actively doing projects and creating and so I'm just figuring out a way like to keep doing that while I'm on the road. So I don't feel like, okay, I'm just taking a pause from like my artistic career so I can go do this tour. It's like, no, why? Like I'll keep doing my own thing too yeah. at the same time. Why not? Uh, well, I, it seems at least when I look at what you're doing, it seems that your life and the things that you do are just your thing. Yeah. Like you're not having to go, you know, and I know a lot of people, not all of us have been there. Like we're working a nine to five so that we have enough money to pay the bills so that we can create art when we're, when there's time left. And, and sometimes that just has to happen, but it's, I think it's so much more important and so much more valuable as an artist when everything that you do can be part of that bigger life experience that just is being an artist and is being a creative and using even sometimes the mundane pushing of, you know, boxes into an arena, like using all of that to, to kind of just infuse into your life and to make you a whole well-rounded person that can create from all these different elements and struggles and trials and good and bad. Um, and acting's a weird thing because it's so elusive and it's like how to become a good actor is such a weird elusive thing. <laughs> and so for me personally, I feel like all of this whole sound journey has like made me a stronger, more confident, a little more aggressive of a person. I've had to figure out to, how to stand my own and to like be in this doggy dog, like man world and survive in that. And that has, I think, given me an edge and pulled me out of this like shy place that is helping my acting and making me a more dynamic, interesting person and allowing me to kind of access different, something a little more interesting in that way. And so it's all part of it. Like it's all as an artist, it's like everything is inspiration. Everything is crafting you into a person. At the end of the day, I feel like People just want to like see interesting people making stuff, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> like it's a lot about just being like an interesting person. Yeah. And so whatever your journey is, it's like making you, you and unique is good. Just emphasize that. Yeah. It's a good, it's all good stuff and it's all part of it. And just cause I'm not in acting class every day, like it's, it's all acting class. Like it's all stuff that's making me a more unique, interesting person and building up my story and things for me to pull from. And that's like, yeah, that's all part of it. So it's good. The living example of like the Jekyll and Hyde of the music industry, whether it will destroy you or it will make you stronger. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Lucky you, right? Yeah, yeah. It definitely there's moments where like I've felt sen like so sensitive and emotional and like all of my feminine qualities like feel like this negative thing because it's just such a man's world and there's been times where people make jokes or like be really hard on like people are so hard on me they make so many jokes to me and I really have to be like tough and nobody said nobody communicates people don't like say I'm sorry or like talk about their feelings everybody's just like doing what they're doing it's rough and aggressive and like and that's been a hard adjustment for me to be like wow like 
why don't we all just like be nicer to each other and like talk <laughs> about things? And I'm realizing all this like weird stuff, like feminine th- needs of mine where I'm like, man, I f- just feel like so fragile and sensitive in this environment. And it's good a little bit because it's like toughen- toughening me up, but it's like, it's been a weird wake up call to get used to that. See, but I also, I think that's kind of beautiful because I think it's important that you have those qualities. Yeah, totally. I think it's important that all of us have those qualities. Yeah, and and definitely. I think sometimes we don't realize those qualities are there. Or, or how valuable they are until we're put in an environment where it is void yeah. or how vacuous. Valuable, valuable well, thought, it is to actually let it out. Yeah, absolutely. I've always thought of myself as like a tomboy, like, and I'm realizing on this tour that like how girly I am and embracing that. I'm like, man, like, I like. There's been days where I'm like, I just need to go get a manicure today, and like, <laughs> you know, like I want to put on makeup because like I want to feel girly, and like it's it's been made me realize like being around dudes all the time how girly I am, and like makes you glad to be a woman. That. Yeah, I'm yeah. like I'm proud of like my girliness and my yeah. sensitivity and emotions, but a lot of this too is because I'm on a rap tour, like. I'm not all touring is like this. I'm sure like going back, if like I was mixing the staves, like I'm sure it would be a very different <laughs> environment. Yeah, I'm on a rap tour. So it's like everybody has talked about how rap is like, it's very like aggressive dog eat dog, like no frills and nonsense kind of vibe. And this tour in particular, like everybody's been like, wow, this is like, and our, our band in particular is like, really tight happy go lucky like everybody is like man you guys are like always having fun and everybody else is like always seems to be angry and yelling at each other and we're like we're just having fun part of that is the music like drums music is real happy and bubbly and like not really angry rap and that really like the type of music really conveys like the attitude of the tour I think but it's been an interesting that's been an interesting adjustment just being in the rap world. It's a crazy one. So uh, you talked about like how good for you this experience has been because it's toughened you up. It's made you realize that maybe you don't want to be behind a monitor console the rest of your life. Um, and it's made you ache a little bit more for the artistic side of your soul. What are you going to do when you go home? It's a great question. Um, I think that I... I'm really interested in doing more studio mixing, studio engineering. Um, So I don't really know what that's going to look like or how I'm going to go about that. But I'm thinking that I want to try that more just because of the part of it that I'm drawn to. There seems to be on the day-to-day life of that, it seems to be more about mixing and the artistic aspect of it than what I'm doing right now. Like the more you work your way up in the live sound world, the more it seems to be like, or the less it seems to be about the creative mixing aspect of it, the more it becomes this like machine repeating thing. You're accurately representing something that's happening. Yeah. So I want to be a part of the process of making the original piece of art rather than like replicating it. So I think that that's one thing that I've kind of taken away. So I would like to kind of transition. I feel like I'm in like the end of a chapter and the beginning of a new one in a lot of ways. So I would like to kind of transition into exploring more of that as far as the music aspect goes. And I still want to take tours every now and then and 
do that a little bit, but I just don't want to be doing it all the time and I don't want it to be the main thing. Um, and then I definitely want to jump. I feel ready. It's like I've taken some space away from the unhealthy acting relationship. And mm-hmm. now I'm like, we've grown. Like, I'm ready to approach <laughs> it with a new way. So I really, I, I, I feel like I've kind of come full circle to realizing that that's still, I mean, that's what I have my degree in. That's what I've wanted to do since I was a little kid. I've always dreamed of being an actor. And that is still my first love. And so I still really want to approach that in a new way. I don't want to play the games of the industry that I felt like I had to play before. I want to be really specific about what I want to do and kind of work backwards with it. Just like we work backwards with mics into the, like, I want to do this, like take that same mindset into my action career and think, okay, what kind of movies do I want to be in? What kind of shows do I want to be in? Okay. Like who casts that? How do I meet those people? Like what agents have relationships with those people? What managers, like how do I meet those people? Instead of just casting out a wide net being like, we just audition for everything yeah. and try to be famous and try to have it. Cause I used to think Here the goal, I, am. I used to think the goal was like having an acting career, like making a living off acting. That's just not my goal anymore. I still want to act, but I want to act in very specific things and I really want to start making some of my own projects. I want to learn how to um, produce and write and sort of be on that side of things. So it's my idea that's being made and I'm not just part of someone else's brainchild. So I would like to play around with that. Now that I've kind of developed a network of um, creatives in different ways, like I feel like I know enough people to kind of gather some together and be like, let's all make this idea that I have. And so I really want to play around with that. I think in general, I just want to, I know that I want to be the person that has an idea and makes it into something. And whether that be film or music or whatever, I want to be more tangibly creative in that way. So yeah, that's what I want to do. I realized traveling, the more I travel, I realize how much I love LA so much. It's just the best city ever. And I, I want to surf like so badly when I get home. Yeah. Yeah. I love surfing. It's like just being in water. Like I'm a big water person. Mm -hmm. It really resets me. The baths, like we talked about. Yeah. I'm a water person. So yeah, I want to get home. I want to surf and I want to start coming up with some projects and collaborating with people. And yeah. Two questions for you. One, in your opinion, and this can be your favorite or just your thought, but best record of all time. So, it's so it's the hardest question I could think of to ask. I would not a, a want creative to ask person me that question on a podcast because really you don't hard. want to go on record telling someone that you think this record is the best because they're going to judge you. But yeah. I think it's worth doing. Um, yeah, that's tough. I would say you can say your favorite that way. Yeah, I'd say my favorite definitely right now and for a while. My favorite is the new Bonavere record. It's so sick. I mean, really any Bon Iver record, especially the self-titled one, that may be, I think maybe I like that one more than the new one. It's just because the new one's the new one. Yeah. It might be one of those situations. Like five years from now, I might be like, no, the self-titled one is the best. It's something. But yeah, that I listened to that record. I've listened to it so many times. I've seen, I've gone to see him play his like show for that record multiple times now. And I sob the whole time, every time. <laughs> like, I, I'm a huge Justin Vernon fan. And everything he does is just everything I want music to be and the way that it's produced. And everything about it is just 
insane to me. So you were telling me that you stood next to him. Yeah. Was that experience for you, because how much you really love his music, did you feel like standing next to him was like, like maybe some of the vibes will rub off or like what was going through your brain? Because for me, like there are like, I mean, we talked about this last night and I'm, I, I'm not ashamed of this, but I grew up listening to a lot of Dashboard Confessional. And so when I met Chris Caraba, I, you know, I walked over to him and like he was standing at his merch table. This is when he was on a tour with the Twin Forks. And I, he, he smiled at me and raised his hand to shake, shake my hand. And I knocked like five things off of his merch table. Yeah. Like I went so straight, like 13 year old girl. Screech, man. <laughs> just, like, ah, this is like, yeah. yeah. So when you were just like standing next to him, like what was going through your brain? Does it, did it matter or are you I just thinking, so chill? I was thinking, what do I say? What do I say? What do I say? Because I, I, it's always weird in moments like that because I want to say something, but I want to say the right thing. I don't want to come across like a fangirly. Yeah. I want them to see me as a peer and not yeah. as like, oh my God, I love you. <laughs> and so I think a lot of people, they meet someone that they idolize and they're like, they just freak out and are like, oh my gosh, I'm such a fan. Like, can I take a picture? And that's never been me. And so for a long time, I just would never say anything. And so recently I've kind of, especially in the past year, like with some of the gigs I've been doing, like I've met a lot of my idols lately, which is insane. But in a lot of situations where I've had a chance to talk to like some really famous people. And so I've learned like, wow, there's a skill to this that I don't have and I need to figure out what it is. And so I've really been practicing like, how do I do this in a way that like makes them see me as like a peer? And so I was like freaking out. And then I said something to him. Um, and he was like so chill and normal. And yeah. like, he did not seem at all like he thought that I was like, well, he was standing watching me mix for a while. So that kind of helped me in the sense where he- You built like, some credibility. You're, like, you're an industry yeah. professional. Yeah, so like I'm finished. We're both backstage at Coachella. Like I just finished mixing and packing up my stuff. And so- um, like I actually didn't say anything at first cause I was so freaking out and a bunch of people <laughs> ran up to him and were like taking pictures with him and stuff. And I was like, okay. So I kind of did my own thing. And then he went and performed. He was like doing a guest appearance with Francis and the lights. And I went to the bathroom or like I came backstage to go to the bathroom and he comes off and we're standing next to each other waiting for like the porta potty. <laughs> and I was like, and he's like smoking a cigarette and I'm like, okay, I should say something now. Cause we've seen each other multiple times and now it's just weird. <laughs> so I was like, Hey man, like great job. He's like, Oh, thanks. So I was like, I'm a, like, just wanted to say like, I love your work a lot. I was like, I'm an engineer. And I, I, what did I say? I was like, I, I use a few different songs to like tune PAs and one of them is your song Creeks and it still makes me cry even though I listen to it almost every day. <laughs> and he was like, Oh, thanks. That's awesome. And like kind of laughed. I was like, so well, just gotta use the say. bathroom now. He's <laughs> like, oh, cool. Right, gonna go, <laughs> go climb this nasty porta potty. Yeah. Good to meet you here. So uh, yeah, but it was cool. Like yeah, he's he's great, and it, it's like super normal, down to earth guy, and I really respect. That's part of why. I, like I feel like I admire people the most. That not only do I admire their work, but also just who they are as a person and the way that they approach like fame and making stuff. And he's just one of those people that. I just like I feel like we would be bros like yeah like we would get along you see life a similar way than, to me so I'm looking forward forward to your new book how to talk to famous people <laughs> yeah I'm learning I'm practicing <laughs> start with Figuring a porta potty at Coachella yep. <laughs> <laughs> chapter well, awesome. one um, well we want to thank you so much yeah. from the bottom Wait, you of said our you hearts had two questions yes I I, am, okay. I do but I just wanted to make sure <laughs> that uh, that I said thank you. Um, 
super honored that you're on our podcast and hopefully ask some questions that people really dig. Yeah. If not, we had a good time and you guys are lame. So, cause this was <laughs> awesome. But the only other question I had is where can we find you online or like, where can we follow your work or what you're doing or your acting or anything? How do yeah. we find you? Um, my social media is at eCapshaw, which I'm sure you'll put somewhere for people to see. And um, my website is just my name, emilycapshaw.com. Awesome. Well, thanks again. Thank and you so much, Emily. Thank you guys. Yeah. This has been really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Until next time, I'm Corey. I'm Sean. That's Emily. I'm and Emily. Yeah. <laughs> this is the Shadowscape Podcast. Is it? I think. It might be. <laughs>